2: Hello, and welcome to our thousands of listeners around the world to this new edition of the BBC Countryfile Magazine podcast, the podcast that helps you escape the humdrum of work for an exciting adventure into the great British countryside. Now, as we approach Easter, we're heading on a pilgrimage in the company of Julie Bromenix to the shrine of Welsh Saint Malangeth, who lived in a remote valley in Powys in the sixth century. Today, the church established in her honour still provides a haven in this wild corner of Wales. And Julie's journey culminates in a meeting and a fascinating discussion with the guardian of the shrine, the Reverend Christine Brown. Listen in to find out how Julie fared.
1: Well, I'm in Langanog, and to be honest, I thought it would take a lot longer to get here. I got off the bus at Bala this morning and knew that I had a 12-mile hitch over a very quiet mountain road within five minutes (laughs) someone had stopped the car and took me 12 miles out of her way in case I was stranded and I think it's quite an appropriate way to begin my approach to the church of Malangeth which is now a pilgrim church I'm still on the road. I'm about about halfway to the chapel. And there's certainly not been any traffic. It's one of the quietest, narrowest lanes I've walked on in some time. And the predominant sound is certainly that of birds, mostly pheasants. We have just passed the Lechworth Garth shooting estate. There are also corvids, plenty of crows, <laughs> plenty of blackbirds, wrens, and I must say the Pennant, the Pennant Valley, is absolutely exquisite. Oh, there's a buzzard flying overhead quite casually, as if it's not used to being disturbed. And on this autumn day, it's not raining, but there's very low cloud and a feeling of moisture in the air. A kind of kiss, almost, of cloud on my skin. Uh, far below me now. In fact, I've just left it. The Pennant Stream is coursing its way down from the Berwinian, and they really do crowd into the valley. There's a feeling, not an oppressive feeling, because it's fairly wide but certainly that you're surrounded by mountains on the one side, hills on the other and plenty of sky overhead which is almost a luminous grey at the moment. So I'm going to continue along the road which is pitted and popped with puddles between hedges recently cut by the look of it and the smell of the fresh wood, and I'm going to be looking out for a little track that will take me off off the road for the final mile to the chapel. Ah, this is interesting. I believe I've arrived. The building is slightly hidden, but to my surprise they're <laughs> far from coming somewhere, arriving somewhere much quieter, which I expected. There's the sound of some farm machinery and <laughs> and there's there are a few park- cars parked and a farm vehicle coming up the road now as well. Well, it wasn't a farm vehicle at all. It was a vehicle from the estate full of dogs and hunters come to shoot the partridge and the pheasants. Whereas the other noise you can probably hear is farm work going on and the hedge is currently being strimmed? That's interesting. I'm just in the church enjoying a moment of contemplation when the silence was ruptured by the sound of shooting outside. It stopped now, but there were two volleys. And that's loud enough to be heard from inside the church itself.
0: Hello there. Hello. Mm -hmm. It's not very nice. No, no, it isn't. But there we are, it's November, isn't it? Sorry? It's November. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I accept that. Yeah, but it would be nice if it was a dry day, wouldn't it? Have you been up here before? No, 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 no. No, Not no. to the church. That's where we made the trip. Yeah. We? Hello. We're in um, Hello. a <laughs>
1: cottage in... What's the name of it? Oh, I've stepped outside the church now. There are a few visitors here popping to see the church. But I'm astonished as to the proximity and the volume of the shooting. Hello. (laughs) And from outside the church, unfiltered by the thick stone walls. Hello. It actually sounds like firework night. raining more heavily now. Yeah, this is certainly a popular place to visit. I haven't met any pilgrims yet. Everybody here seems to have driven here. There we go again. I can see some pheasants flying over the field there now. One of them's been hit. There's at least one of them that's gone down. It's not necessarily what you'd expect to find in a place renowned for its sanctuary. Oof! Okay, these guys are right in the field next to me. So whilst I knew that the church was in the heart of the Thachwithgarth Estate, really astonished I wasn't expecting this in fact I almost feel vulnerable I'm so close to the shooters they're maybe 100 yards away they're certainly not shooting my direction oh no they're more to my left who are 25 yards away I feel quite shaken up really. I was aware that I was coming to a shooting state, that that was certainly part of the environment within which this ancient church currently sits. I wasn't expecting to see it at such close quarters and it's a very graphic picture of what actually happens and of the conflict of interest just within one very, very remote valley. So here we have a church dedicated to sanctuary, peace, refuge, where people come to find solace. Not only of the hills, but of the spirit and alongside we have a very different country pursuit and they're all, the shooters are all making their way back over. Yep and here's the guy He's collected, oh there's definitely more of an embrace of pheasants there, I don't know how many. Hello! I wasn't expecting to see you guys today. <laughs> I just came to uh, to visit the church. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you the gamekeeper? No, no, no. I don't know anything about shooting, so I just the Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> so how many birds have you got there?
0: Four here. Yeah.
1: They're beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so well, I was I walked here, so I was admiring all the pheasants, and now they're now
0: they're gone.
1: Now yeah. they're gone. So will they all get eaten?
0: Probably, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah,
1: by the people that have paid to shoot. Pardon? By the people that have the, paid to shoot.
0: Well, I, I think a. Uh, what's it buys them? A game firm buys them, you know, for game. Ah, okay. Yeah.
1: Don't they have a beautiful plumage? They
0: do, yeah. It's a pity to see them, but. It is. Like, but it's a sport, and that's it. It's they've trying to
1: Yeah. Their feathers there are just like the hills at the moment, very yes, they coppery are, yeah, coloured. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I suppose it's a cool sport, but I don't
1: know. So you have partridge here as well?
0: It's partridge as well, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And now the sheep are being allowed back on the field. I
2: know. The sheep are coming back onto yes. the field now. Yeah, yeah, they'll come back.
1: So it's a very efficient, swift operation, really. Oh, yeah, yeah. So how often does this happen?
0: Four times a week. Four times a week, yeah, okay. Normally.
1: Throughout the season, yeah. and the season runs from.
0: Um, November till
1: January the 31st, I guess. Okay, yeah. 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 It's my first encounter with shooting, so yes. I don't yeah. know. And there are the sheep, perfectly happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Country life,
0: isn't it, it,
1: yeah. yeah. So we're in the wonderful church of St Malangash here, and it is very quiet again, and I've just participated in a wonderful prayer service which takes place every day here at noon. And I think, to me, that's what makes this church very different to other churches that I come across in the countryside. I always try the door, often it's locked. Even the churches that are open, there's quite often a feeling of dormancy. Maybe they're served by one minister who has maybe three or four parishes under their ministry. Whereas this church has daily prayers at noon. I believe a prayer service every morning
0: as well and a Sunday service. And every evening as well. And every evening. Morning and evening prayer and noon prayer every day, So when possible. <laughs> <laughs> so it's
1: certainly a very active and not in any way dormant church. And I wonder if you could tell me about the kind of people that come to the prayers and the services here, Chris.
0: Yes, um, it's really good to welcome you here today, Julie, too. Um, Because this is a place where people have come to since the 7th century, in that there was a wooden church uh, in the 7th century, a stone church from the 11th. And um, this has now the um, oldest shrine in Northern Europe, the oldest Romanesque shrine in Northern Europe, Um, built here containing uh, it's thought the relics of Melangeth, the saint uh, who lived here and uh, whose church this remains, the only church dedicated to Melangeth in the whole world. So you're in a unique place that many people come to from all over the world partly out of uh, Melangeth, her legacy and um, example uh, and also because of uh, the uh, ancient shrine here Um, And it has become a place of pilgrimage and prayer that uh, is a joy to be able to facilitate still today. Uh, Very often I'm here on my own with the guardian to the guardian, my uh, Labradoodle Barney, (laughs) uh, who's a little reluctant to join in the hymns sometimes, but makes his presence known. Um, But very often there are people here as today who are having a quiet day. Uh, People come to... um, look at the church and take part. But we have archaeologists, historians, pagans. There are bronze and Iron Age remains um, on which the church is founded and in the hills all around, which are the Berwyn, the foothills of Snowdonia. So we get lots of walkers and hikers and uh, climbers too Um, parish groups, church groups, school groups, you name it, we can try and host it. And we're even having a donkey-thon next year, (laughs) where two donkeys uh, are making their way to St Melangeth uh, in aid of multiple sclerosis. And that would be taking them for about five weeks. So all sorts of people come here, and it's a joy to welcome them and to um, still have worship in this ancient place that is very much still a living place because of the people who come here.
1: Um, certainly... And because of the tradition of
0: Malangach. Yes. Now, (laughs) she was a wild woman, if ever there was was. one. (laughs) Because, um, you may know her story, that um, it's thought she was Irish, um, born to a wealthy family, and then came here fleeing from an arranged marriage that she didn't want to make, but her family did. And it's thought that when she arrived here... Um, that she was um, living on her own for about ten years before the encounter with Brockwell. And I sometimes think, uh, living in the valley now, it's wonderful in summer. The rain is plentiful, as it is throughout Wales, of course, but so is the cold and the chill and the fog and the dark in winter. And I wonder how she ever managed, without central heating and the five layers that I usually wear in winter, um, but managed she did and lived a life of prayer and simplicity, foraging for food, and uh, in this quiet valley, escaping the demands that her family was making of her. And so there developed the um, encounter with... Brockwell. Now, it's thought that he, his men and the hounds were out hunting a hare. And, of course, in those days, they would be hunting simply for food. And they put up a hare, uh, and the hare ran to uh, Melangech, who hid it under her cloak, and refused, when ordered to do so by Brockwell, the Prince of Powys, to hand it over. Now, the thing about that is that... Um, It shows, I think, her great compassion. My brother said to me, she saved a hare, so what? There must have been thousands (laughs) in the valley in the 7th century. But one hare, one scared creature ran to her and I think she wanted to save it. So she had compassion on even a hare, is how I see it. Um, And that great compassion is very much needed in our world today, I think. So first of all I think it's her compassion, secondly her courage, courage in first of all leaving her home for an uncertain future. If I was born into a life of great wealth I'm not sure I would be wanting necessarily to forsake it altogether in the way she did, but uh, she did choose to come and live in great simplicity um, in the valley and that was a courageous thing I think to, to do as a woman on her own in those days. Secondly, in refusing Brockwell's order to hand it over, I think also that was a very brave thing to do, because you did not say no to the prince in those days, um, and particularly if you were a woman. And so it's compassion, I think, courage also, and then what happens might have drawn forth a very negative response from Rockwell, who might have been angered that he was being disobeyed in this way. But what I think is so wonderful about the story is the way that something about Melangeth and the hare touches him, because astonishingly, I think, he gives her the valley, that part of the valley, as a place of sanctuary for all living things in perpetuity. Now, That's a very generous thing for a prince to do, because if you're giving away the land, you're giving away uh, money, you're giving away power and influence, you're giving away the things in the valley, um, and he acts in this very generous way that means that then... Malangech is enabled to set up a place of sanctuary and there is a place very near the church that is still to this day called the Sanctuary Land and it's thought that that's where Melangach and the community that came to support her as word of what had happened with Brockwell spread gave sanctuary to people who needed it. So if food or shelter, a bed for the night, help if they were um, hurt or had uh, various difficulties, that place was established, and that tradition of sanctuary and hospitality still prevails today. And so that is stretched to its limits at times because it's a terrible irony that there are things in the valley today that um, mean that the valley isn't always a place of sanctuary for all living things, particularly if you're a pheasant, uh, because um, there is shooting in the valley, as there is in many places. Um, And, of course, this is where the countryside and its traditions um, are ongoing today, and we have to reinterpret them as to what they mean for the times in which we live now. So we've got the compassion of Melangech, the courage of Melangech, and then because of the little abbey that is established and the sanctuary land, we then get the, I think, um, perseverance of Melangech. Because if she'd lived on her own for 10 years, mm. the suggestion is that she then lived for 37 or 38 years, developing the Abbey and the community with the women who came to join her. That can't have been without its challenges either. <laughs> um, and so what a life of remarkable contrast. What a, an amazing woman to um, bring all this about and what an honour it still is to know that the church is here and that I can play my part in uh, extending her legacy today.
1: As we're sitting here in the church, it might be a good opportunity for you to describe some of the things related to the church mm. for our listeners. Would, would that be okay? Certainly, to, maybe, yes. If we go
0: to the shrine, yes, certainly, and you can describe... Scene. so I don't know whether the footsteps can be as you go down the aisle um, and as you go towards the 14th century rude screen rude as in Anglo-Saxon for cross the um, screen having on top of it the legend uh, the story should I say of Malanga called the legend of Malanga in where the gardens. saint is there in beautiful oak carving from 1450 And you can see the figure of uh, Malangach, Brockwell, his men, the horses, the hounds and so on. Still here from 1450 in a screen that has been restored sympathetically whereby the restoration is clear. That's Barney. That's Barney making himself known. (laughs) Um, But where the original is still here. This is just such a beautiful image. The depiction in this oak... Uh, of 1450 the screen was made Um, and you can see the saint the um, image of Brockwell on his horse uh, his men the hounds and so on Um, and it's in this um, screen that's um, just so beautiful, and as you were saying about the hands that may have touched it, the warping that perhaps has happened over the years. But nevertheless, in essence, that depiction is still there, um, and from which we can learn. Because if you notice, there are eleven panels for the twelve disciples, right. and that is because in 1450 they hadn't forgiven Judas uh, for betraying Jesus, so they wouldn't give him a panel.
1: And there's a variety
0: of things to look at within this church which do represent centuries. Well, we'll find them in the shrine. Shall we continue (laughs) to the the shrine as we go now into the uh, chancel and as we come upon this shrine that, like the road screen, um, is clearly heavily restored but originated from the 11th century, the oldest Romanesque shrine. Uh, in Northern Europe, and so we can see within it the carvings from the 11th century with which we can literally make contact with those who uh, put them in place and then removed them at the Reformation because the locals were so concerned that the shrine might be um, taken apart and destroyed at the Reformation that they dismantled it themselves and took stones to hide in their homes, their gardens, the hillside, wherever. But they vowed to rebuild it when it was safe to do so and by the time it was safe to do so they were all of them long gone and not all the bits were recovered. Um, And so you've got the ancient parts in this dark pink stone but then the very obvious grey and lighter pink replacements so that it's clear what's, what is authentic and original and what is actually uh, a replacement. Um, and so that's like life really, isn't it? Because we have to decide which bits to keep, which bits to renew... Um, sometimes things are dismantled or devastated, and sometimes things can be rebuilt, and sometimes they can't. Uh, the top of it, how would you describe it? It's almost like a gingerbread house. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, it's interesting that because some people see this um, as, uh, uh, in a way, like Jacob's ladder. I don't know if you know the story in the Old Testament where Jacob has a dream um, and he sees angels going up and down a ladder to heaven. Um, This is a rather large triangle with a huge chunk of the original carving at the top. And the crockets, the curly bits at the sides, as it were, um, remind some people of angels' wings. Um, And so some people think that this is like angels and that the triangle, which is tall and thin, points us to heaven as a reminder that uh, uh, our prayers are heard. Uh, others look at it and think that the crockets are similar to sheep's heads. Oh. And of course this is a sheep valley, as you may yes, have uh, heard. Um, and um, they do look a little like sheep's heads. Um, and some see a reminder between Jesus, who called himself both the Good Shepherd um, and the Lamb of God. Um, and the linking this with the shrine and with a reminder that it's not just here in um, to worship Melangech, it's um, here um, in God's house. Um, the shrine has these arches in it so that people could put their hands or feet or whatever it was that they wanted healing because when Melangé's relics were thought to be placed inside it, people still wanted to keep that contact with this good and godly woman. Um, and so came to make contact in that way and to ask for the saints' intervention as they asked Almighty God for healing. So uh, these arches are still here. You can see from the many prayerful petitions on the pieces of paper... It's full of,
1: of prayers. There's a scatter of blue, yellow, pink pieces of paper... And people have handwritten prayers onto them that they've then placed under the shrine. Well, when I arrived this morning, it was certainly noisier than I expected. There was hedge clipping and there was a shoot going on next, next door as well. When that's not happening, the silence here is quite extraordinary. And it's lovely to think that there is a place of solace here in the same, in the same that that there was when Melangeth arrived here so many centuries ago.
0: Um, yes, what would she have looked like, I wonder? I wonder. Was she, uh... <laughs> yes, there are icons of her here. Um, I'll show you one, if I may, um, and I'll just describe it, because this one is Melangeth with the cave in the background that you mentioned, yes. where possibly she may have lived but she's wearing a cream-coloured dress. Now, I can assure you, that's not very practical (laughs) for this valley, especially in autumn and winter, Um, and especially if she had a dog with her like Barney. Um, She has these embroidered armbands, which indicate she was a woman of great wealth. Um, And so this is possibly her arriving from Ireland, and indeed she does look quite young, but she's wearing uh, a red velvet cloak, And to my mind, that's Little Red Riding Hood as much as St. Melangech, as it were. But it just depends what the iconographer is trying to convey. There's another one where um, Melangech looks very much like Maid Marian. She's dressed in pale green velvet and she's hiding behind the tree from the prince with the hair. My concern about that is not so much that she looks like uh, St. Melangech but that she's in hiding from the priest because the whole point of the story is that she... um, she she said no. Um, she was rescuing the hare, but not necessarily hiding away, um, standing up, as it were, for what she believed in. Um, and that's the challenge for us, isn't it? It is. Thank you very much. Perhaps we can end with just a few moments of that uh, silence. Because it, it's the silence and the peace of this place that draws people as much as the saint. Because when... Uh, it is quiet. The silence speaks heart to heart, and the silence is profound. Unless Mary's geese are honking, of course, as they are. <laughs> Um, these are at least 2,000 years old Um, and it's a tradition in Wales that uh, wherever there's a church um, it's thought that um, or should I say some people think that wherever there's a church the devil sets up a chapel in the churchyard (laughs) and um, yew trees are poisonous uh, every part except the red berry which houses the most poisonous part, the seed and so they were put into churchyards which are walled and gated Uh, And this wall here is circular, denoting a really ancient foundation. Um, But the thing is, that was so that the cattle uh, could not eat them and uh, suffer the consequences. But the hope was that the devil would be attracted by the red berries, would eat them and would then die. (laughs) But sadly, any news broadcast shows us that the power of evil is alive and well today. (laughs) But for that reason, uh, if you notice, there are no graves on the north side of the church because that 's where the devil 's chapel was always thought to be, because it 's the dark side ah. um, and there 's no graves if you go there, or only very few right, uh, whereas the rest of the churchyard is almost full now, and the thing was the reason they wanted yew trees was for um, the wood, because um, yew wood is both firm but flexible, um, and so uh, a lot of archers would use yew for their bows but um, actually, an arboreologist, if I've got that word right, uh, who came here told me that, in fact, at Agincourt, most of the bows there were made of, of yew from Poland. Oh, Um but so the that scotched that myth. Uh, the, they scotched that, <laughs> but the thing was that if you died of anything infectious in the Middle Ages, they would line the grave and on top of the grave put um, branches from the yew because it was known that the poison would kill... Um, the germs and they obviously were concerned about the living catching infection from the dead. Um, now that over the years has been translated into now um, the species Taxus which is the u, being used um, for the poison to kill the rogue cells with cancer and mm. so from Taxus has come Taxol which is used in chemotherapy uh, and that's, you know, those dark ages weren't as dark as we sometimes think, were they? Um, and if only we could get back to nature in um, the way that is is still being developed so powerfully but a reminder that sometimes natural things are as good as manufactured for all sorts of reasons, yes. though obviously they have to be used with great care. But oh, if yes. you look inside this you, that people can actually stand inside. Oh, my word. And how often is it that people can stand and inside actually something Actually, within the heart of a ewe. Still living. It must be, I don't know, way. five metres in girth at it least. Um But the thing is, some people see figures inside this. Yes, it. I was just going to say, it reminds me a little bit of the rude screen inside... Well, yes, but also... Can you see this part where uh, these... uh, Legs. This looks like (laughs) legs. And some people see that this is the head of a woman holding a baby, Ah. cradling a baby, and that this in profile looks like the head of a man supporting a woman's arm as she cradles the child. So some people see figures in this. I don't know whether you can see um, here that... Some people see the head of an otter. I can see that. Yes, um, definitely. Others, when it's dry, see this as the head of a hare
1: uh, with its ears. Well,
0: that, we should have a hare, really, shouldn't we? Um, somebody even saw a Komodo dragon going up there <laughs> <laughs> with the formation of the branches. But <laughs> that is a little fanciful.
1: <laughs> well, it's incredibly impressive. And like you say, you can't actually see the trunk until you...
0: And Almost duck no, under the boughs. Many people come for the yew trees because of their great um, We're coming up now to the Sanctuary Land. This is the Sanctuary Land where it's thought Melangeth and the community were. Um, and as we go through these leaves and the mud, um, it's uh, just starting to rain. So this is not being seen at its best. <laughs> um, the trees have not been... The Forestry Commission is all around and about, um, and it's thought that this would have been about six feet lower in Melangeth's time than it is now, without the trees, courtesy of the Forestry Commission and the birds, Um, but that this is the place where perhaps the sanctuary was given, because it's still called the Sanctuary Land, and that title would not have come down the years Unless that had been um, the case, it seems to me, it would have been long forgotten, wouldn't it? If it had not actually happened. So because the walls aren't say, well, original. It's just a nice story, isn't it? You know, it's just a nice idea. Never actually happened, did it? I think it did. Yeah. I think it did. Sorry, you're saying uh, the walls aren't original? Then presumably. No, 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 no. But this is. But we are enclosed. in a walled the enclosure geese. here. The geese, geese are <laughs> a very good guard dog. <laughs> And I'll just take you to see the Shepherd's Hut and Baidubach, the little cow shed. And, and so, this is accommodation where pilgrims can stay? Yes, yes. Um, and I'll just get these. i look and see if you see the lion.
1: Oh! <laughs> So Chris has just left me looking at the hillside and I'm looking for Aslan. I can't quite see him, but the hill is extraordinarily beautiful. There's almost a peach blush to the larch interspersed with the green conifers. Have I haven't found Aslan, He's no. Well,
0: if you look straight across, you see the round clearing at the top? Yes. That's his eye. Um, above his eye, going all the way along, the dark green f- conifers yes are his maid. ah I see him now where the grassy hill starts that's that's his his back back. he's a recumbent lion he is on a mega scale isn't he he's a big lion (laughs) and then um, the swathe of dark green fir trees that comes down again is his paw and then where the eye is to the left of the eye uh, those trees there uh, look a bit like his nose. Yes. Um, I, you can see him. I can see I'm him. I'm glad you can see him because somebody came not long ago and said, um, What do you do when it's quiet here? And I, said, I say good morning to Aslan. And he said, Oh, really, do you? And then he said, What do you do when it's very quiet? Because he was snowed in for 10 days with the beast from the east and all this sort of thing. Um, and I said, jokingly, I say, I have a little conversation with Aslan. And he said, Oh, really, do you? And then there was a pause, and he said, if ever Haslam says anything back, you will go and see the doctor, won't you? And obviously thought I was unhinged, and perhaps I am. (laughs) But to my mind, that looks like a lion-shaped (laughs) table. And this is part of the quiet garden movement, so anybody is welcome to come and have a coffee here and just sit and enjoy the garden and the views, which sadly, it's getting so misty, you can't really see. But there are... Beautiful views and these autumn colours are just glorious aren't they? They're amazing. Yeah, and the sheep. There. Yeah. Looks like a very
1: gentle fire, a wet fire. Yeah come on Barney. <laughs>
0: <coughs> so this is five Bar. Oh, the, isn't it beautiful? Um, the um, there's somewhere to self-cater and cook. This there's is a, a lovely little cabin. for people who can't um, cope with steps for the shepherd's farm. Somewhere to eat and so on. But a place to come to enjoy the, the views and just spend some time it's in the peace of the valley. When a it's very peaceful. small room which has been
1: beautifully... Um, Designed to accommodate. There's a sofa, there's a microwave, there's a little kitchen here. It has everything you need, and it faces the most extraordinary hillsides.
0: And then we'll carry on to the uh, shepherd's hut here. Um... Now,
1: this is lovely. So there are steps up into the shepherd's hut. Oh, and... um...
0: There are some boards that are drying
1: too. So we can't quite open the door.
0: Sorry. Ah, It has a half
1: door. That's lovely. Little gingham curtains around the window. And And again, again, a lovely small space which
0: is absolutely exquisite. With a desk and a chair, because some people want to come and write and reflect and all sorts, but just a small place where people can come and stay if they wish a while. And there's a hair on the doormat.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that was an entirely delightful experience and a huge thank you to Julie and the Reverend Christine Brown for that. You can find out more about St Melangeth at the website stmalangeth.org, which is saint dot org. And please do let us know what you think about our podcasts by emailing me at editor at and also leave reviews on whichever podcast provider you use. And lastly, don't forget to tune in to next week's Escape into the Wilds. I'm also really pleased to say that the BBC Countryfile magazine podcast, or podcast as we know it, has been shortlisted in the Podcast Producers Awards. We find out in early spring whether we've won, but it's lovely to have been recognised in this way. So that's it for now. This podcast was produced in Bristol by Ben Ewart and Jack Bateman. Thanks for listening and goodbye.